Hello, everyone. It is good to be here. You know, I have missed you a lot. I really have. It's good to be back and to open up God's Word with you today. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, do turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, It's an extremely practical book that we're in. It's messy, but very, very helpful. And so it's a delight to be able to help you with this chapter today. As you turn there, let me tell you about two little brothers, two little boys that I think uh, their interaction kind of captures what we're dealing with in this book. Uh, They were pretending to be superheroes. And as things go when you're immature and young, Uh, That sort of I'm better than you and I'm stronger than you and I'm faster than you starts with a little bit of harmless fun and then becomes squabbling and fighting and then ends up in some full-blown argument. Now, I know that because I have three brothers and I have three sons and so I'm well experienced in this, but this is uh, fictional. This isn't the story of my life. But eventually one said to the other, you know what, I'm Superman deal with that. Uh, And the other brother thought for a while and he said, right, there's only one way of upping that. It's by going patriotic. I'm Captain America. You deal with that. That left Superman in a little bit of a, a confused state and he didn't know what to do. So he thought, okay, there's only one way to up that. I'm gonna go biblical. So he says to his brother, you know what? I'm Moses and you're my assistant brother, Aaron. (laughs) Well, mom usually turned a blind eye to this because ignorance is bliss often in these situations, but but, but not always. There comes a point when these things have to be corrected because little boys grow up to be men and and she wants them to go into the world and, and stand for Christ on their own two feet. And so One morning she was uh, baking, cooking pancakes just before they went uh, to church. And they were squabbling about who was going to get to pick the first pancake, and he was going to pick the biggest pancake. And she was desperately trying to make sure they were all the same size. Uh, But she, she had enough, and she just blurted out to them, if Jesus were here, you know what he'd say if he were you? Jesus would say, mom, let my brother go first. That's a, that's a good parental speech right there. And, and she thought it was working because they were silent and the spirit was perhaps convicting them. And after a little moment, the older brother turned, uh, grabbed the biggest pancake that he could see, put it on his plate and said to his brother, hey buddy, thanks for being Jesus to me today. LAUGHTER Oh, it's, it's, it's good, and that's, that's, that's an interesting morning breakfast before church. But, but that captures the Corinthian church. That captures what we're dealing with here, the heart of the problem. There are brothers and sisters in Christ too. They're family, but they're immature, and they're self-centered, and they're self-focused, and they bring into the family of God an attitude of, I am better than you. I'm superior than you. So I get and I grab and I put me first, not you first. And that's destructive. And it was a a mess in the church then. We've we've been dealing with that in this Undivided series. But it's a mess in many churches today. And I know because I travel around a lot of churches. 
It's still alive and well that I am more important than you attitude. And it's not on. And it's not acceptable. The, the, the family amongst humanity that is supposed to be a, a salt to the earth, a light to the world, that's supposed to make God look good and attractive to the world, and, and w- the way we interact ends up just blending in with the rest of society. Just another group, it's just that they happen to meet on a Sunday morning. Well, Paul, like mom, is not going to have it anymore with the Corinthian brothers and sisters. Ignorance is not bliss when it's that problematic. And so he's going to deal with these issues, and we've been dealing with many of them in this letter. He writes them a letter, but that letter is the Word of God to us today. It's not just an old letter. It's the Word of God in the hands of the Holy Spirit to mature every family of God away from some of the tendencies that we so gravitate toward. Well, in chapter 12, Paul's dealing with the matter of how a local church can function as a healthy church. How a local church can function in society as a healthy church. How can we make sure that we don't compete and we don't try and one-up one another particularly in the arena of spiritual gifts, and also activate spiritual gifts appropriately in a way that honors God and edifies the community and makes our light shine and makes us be salt to the earth. So let's go and work our way through chapter 12. There is a lot there. There's a lot there, and, and a more focused study would, would perhaps allow us to go into some of the details. I, my goal today is just to help you understand the main flow of what Paul wants the Corinthian church and through them, us, to understand. So, so let's start in the first few verses where we see a problem. The problem in this chapter is with spiritual gifts, but it's not the gifts that are the problem, it's the believers. It's our ignorance. It's Christian ignorance. And, and that word, ignorance, sounds a little bit harsh, but it's not my word. It's Paul's. It's Paul's word. Look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now the ESV there sort of softens a little bit. The word is agna, uh-oh, ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be lacking in knowledge. I don't want you to be lacking in understanding of truth because that lack of an understanding of truth in this arena is creating all sorts of problems. It seems that they were using these spiritual gifts as a way of ranking one another's worth sort of like a metric of of spiritual maturity and spiritual progress. And they weren't using it as God intended the spiritual gifts to be used, and that's ignorant. That's not on, and Paul wants to to correct that these gifts uh, are, are supernatural abilities. They're not natural abilities. They're supernatural abilities. They're, they're God endowed gifts to believers, and every single believer is gifted by God, according to the Scriptures. Every one of you who's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is gifted by God. This is more than natural talents. Natural talents is something that, that, that you have from, from birth, from genetics, uh, from God's design. And natural talents can be used by God to be woven into your spiritual gift. That, that's, that's up to Him. But they are different. 
You receive natural talents at birth. You receive a spiritual gift at your new birth, at your conversion, when you came to Christ. And they were using them against one another to rank worth, to project an, I must be better than you because look what I do. Mentality, I'm Captain America. I'm Moses. And you're, bless you, you're just Aaron. You'll, you'll get there. You'll be okay. Paul says, that's not Christian. That's not Christian. That's ignorant. The word that is used there for do not remain uninformed or do not remain in your ignorance is what we call a present infinitive. And, and I know that might go in one ear and go out the other ear, and that's fine, but it means this. Do not remain in ignorance. Do not continue in the ignorance that you're so clearly in is what Paul is saying to these believers. Now, why would they be in such ongoing ignorance? They're in Christ. How is that possible? How can they be so uninformed? They're in Christ. Well, look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3 say this. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot there also, but what I want you to understand is that Paul is saying, Jesus is Lord of your life. I know that. The Holy Spirit did a work in your life. He saved you. And so you can actually proclaim that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is God, and He's God on my life. But it seems to me that you've dragged some of your past pagan life into your present Christian life. And that's ignorant. It seems that you're operating in Christian worship just like you used to operate in the parade that led to the worship of false gods in the temples that you once worshipped at. You've brought it in here, and it's, it's easy to do, right? How culture thinks and what culture wants and how culture worships its falsehoods is all over the place, and we live in culture, and it's easy to bring that into family life. Christian life, Christian worship, if we're not careful. If we're not careful, uh, culture molds how you think and how you act and how you behave and what you want. And there's no other word for it than that is ignorant. That's not acceptable. So Paul is saying that we can't remain so culturally indoctrinated in the way we behave around one another. That's what he's saying. Ignorant inside of Christ is easy to do, and it's dangerous to do. In fact, ignorance becomes the, the soil, the fertile soil that Satan can plant seeds in and just wreak havoc. And he's doing it in society. And he wants to do it in here, but he can't get in here except through you. So don't be ignorant, is what Paul is saying to our brothers and sisters. Don't bring that in here, because that's that's not, that's, that's destructive. Ignorance is not bliss in that situation. It's butchering our family unity and our effectiveness in the world. Ignorance can only be countered by truth, which is what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12, as we're going to see in a few moments. 
Sitting under the Word of God is the only thing that can combat in the hands of the Holy Spirit ignorance of truth. And yet we resist the Word of God. I resist the Word of God when it, when it doesn't suit. It's in, it's in us. It's in me. Uh, not too long ago, I was taking the kids to school one morning. And, you know, we're getting ready for the day and we're talking about the day and we pray together and, and we discuss things. And, and they started to report to me that the day before, when my wife picked them up from school, they were driving down the road and this car darted out in front of my, my wife. She had to slow down, nearly break, uh, and it seemed quite aggressive. I thought, well, that's interesting. So, she followed the car, obviously, down the road, and then there was a red light, so they both had to stop. But my wife was turning left, and this car was turning right, so the cars were side by side. And so all four kids are in the car, and, and they're all having a good chat, and the, the person in the other car signals to my wife, put down the window. And so my wife puts down the window as you do. And then this lady began to just berate my wife. Just go mad at her. You this, you that, you this, you that. And you people who go to that school think you own this neighborhood and boom, just went after her. And my kids were all like, whoa, what's just happened here? And I thought, well, that, that's interesting. That wasn't good. And, and I thought, well, how, well, I'm taking them to school the next morning. So let's talk about that. Let, let's talk about what we should do. What would the Word of God say about us responding to, to that? Silence. <laughs> nothing. They had nothing to offer. So I said, okay, okay, what, what, would, what would Jesus do? Let, let me give you a multiple choice quiz between mean lady meets mom. And let them think about it and decide. Option number one is this, sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I'm sorry. Option number two was to smile and then to just put the window back up. <laughs> Option number three was to smile and say, oh, yo no hablo inglés. <laughs> and put the window back up. <laughs> oh, you like three, eh? <laughs> Option number four was to say, oh, I am so sorry. I didn't realize that you were the undercover neighborhood cop and put the window back up. Now, as you can imagine, my kids had a good laugh deciding which one to go with, and they unanimously did pick one which will remain private. But, <laughs> but there is a right answer. There is a right answer according to the Word of God. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. See, just because culture acts like that and behaves like that and believes like that and wants to project that onto everybody else doesn't mean we Christians do that. They don't dictate our conversations. They don't dictate our belief systems. They don't dictate how we worship. That's ignorant. And only the Word of God and being rooted in the Word of God can filter that. So the problem that we have here with spiritual gifts in that church and in many churches causing havoc is not the gifts, 
It's believers' ignorance concerning the truth of what God has said about the gifts. And that's not on. And so the rest of the chapter, Paul corrects that. Paul wants to fill in the gaps for them. And that's what I want to spend some time with you now in this morning. The solution to the spiritual gifts problem. The solution to the spiritual gifts problem in chapter 12, I think, is twofold. Very intricately connected. Now, but this isn't the end of the matter. There is a chapter 13 and there is a chapter 14. And all of it is dealing with the same problem in that church. But let's just start with the two that are in chapter 12. And the first solution, I've already mentioned it to you. I grab it from verse 1, and it's this. Don't remain ignorant. Don't remain ignorant. How do you not remain ignorant? Well, let's read the rest of the chapter. There's four things that Paul passes on our way so that we don't remain ignorant in that state, that, that continuous state of ignorance as it relates to this issue. The first thing he says is don't remain ignorant about the source of the gifts. The source of the gifts. Knowing where supernatural abilities like that come from will reduce ignorance and its follow-up companion, arrogance. The source of the gifts is very important. Look at verses 4 to 6. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The emphasis in those few verses is not in the variety, variety, variety. It's on the same, same, same. Same Spirit, same Lord, same God, same Godhead. The entire Godhead is involved in, in this blessing his people with, with spiritual abilities so that they, they can minister to the world. The gifts are sourced in God. Look down at verse 11 where Paul brings this back in and he does so again in verse 18. In verse 11 he says, all these, that is the gifts, the services, the activities, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. As He wills. Now, what you also pick up there is that everyone gets at least one gift. And don't miss that. And don't dismiss that. Don't think that you're the only one that God left out. You're not. God has gifted you. Don't dismiss that. But he's gifted you as he chooses, as he wills. Look at verse 18, on down in chapter 12. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. As he chose. Paul is very, very clear here. That true spiritual gifts come from God. They're his sovereign choice to grant to his people. And if he chooses, and if he apportions, and if he distributes, and if they don't originate in, in me, and if they don't originate in you, and you don't get to pick what you want, then no credit goes to me, and no credit goes to you. We can't use that to measure one another up against the other, and it removes envy, and it removes grabbing, and it removes one-upmanship, a sense of superiority, and to believe others Otherwise, is to make ignorant statements about God, 
about his distribution and his planning and his wisdom in assigning the gifts where he wants to assign the gifts. So don't remain ignorant about the source of the gifts. They come from God. They're rooted in his sovereign choice. But secondly, don't remain ignorant about the goal of the gifts. They're clearly in ignorance as to the goal of the gifts. Look at verse 7. To each, again, that's every believer, to each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. Glance your eye down to verse 25 as well. It pops up again there. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. There's no doubt in Paul's mind that the, the goal of the gifts is, is that they not be for you. God has gifted you, but it's not for you. Uh, whatever it is he decides to give you, it's, it's not for you, it's for us. It's for the people around you. It's for the community of faith that, that you're doing life with. Paul is directing all merit for any gift away from the individual to God and all use of any gift away from personal consumption to others. There's just no doubt about that. It's, it's, if it's not in the service of us, if it's not in the service of others, it's not a spiritual gift. It's to be used for the common good, for the health of this local church body. So don't remain ignorant about the source of the gifts and, and the goal in, in granting the gifts by God. But thirdly, the range, the wide range of gifts that are, are available. There are many, and they are so varied by God's design. You look at verses 8 to 10, Paul develops that. Uh, you'll see very clearly that there are many ways of serving others in God's strength uh, for the common good by God's choice. Look at it. Verse 8, for, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of the tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. A whole range of gifts there. Paul's just rapid fire blasting the Corinthians with, with, with a whole list that's available. Now, he picks this back up in verse 28. He goes back to it, and, and he mentions some of the same ones again. He says in verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and that's important. Paul, Paul makes a, an intentional use of the, what we call the ordinal numbers, first, second, third. He makes an intentional move there this time around, and then he moves away from it. We'll talk about that in a second, but, but look at it. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues, 
And then he asks a series of rhetorical questions. And you, and you know in reading it, the answer is no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no, 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 no. There's a wide range of gifts and God has gifted every believer, but every believer doesn't have every gift or should grab for anybody else's gift if they believe that God chooses sovereignly. Friends, this is not an exhaustive list that Paul presents here in 1 Corinthians. It's not comprehensive. Romans 12 also has a list. Paul wrote Romans. Ephesians 4 also has a list. Paul wrote Ephesians. They're all different. There's massive overlap, but they're not like for like. 1 Peter 4 mentions some gifts, and obviously Peter wrote 1 Peter. We don't have a comprehensive list. It's clear that God can add and take away as he chooses. They're his. They're his. Of course he can. And he knows what each local body needs. And therefore assigns it in light of that. Here's the thing. Here's one of the things I want you to understand. There are many more gifts for a church than can be manifested in a Sunday morning corporate gathering for worship like this. Only a few pop up in this environment. Most gifts don't pop up in this environment, but whoever said that church is only an event once a week on a Sunday morning? Church is 24-7. God has distributed a variety of gifts so that they're manifested across the week and across the church. Most aren't public. Sadly, most gifts that he has assigned lie dormant. They lie dormant. The Corinthians were ignorant and so were abusing the gifts, but it's, it's, no, it's no secret that the Western church is ignorant of the gifts and either fight about it or ignore them. Just, just leave them dormant because we've bought into this mentality that gifts are that which somebody up front has when we're gathered in a corporate session, but they're not. And this community and this metroplex and this state and this country and the world needs every believer active in the gifts that God has entrusted to them. We've become what's often called as a spectator church generation in the West. That's sad. Consumers. So that Sunday morning church is an event, just like Friday night, Saturday night movies is an event. I go there, I watch, I leave. Go on Sunday, I watch, I leave. Now I'm not thinking of any particular person here, so please don't, don't shoot the messenger here. This is just correcting a, a, an unfortunate state that we're at in the West today as it relates to the gifts in the church. We either fight about it or we just ignore it. And what happens is God doesn't look good in society because his people aren't really engaging their gifts for him across the week, across the church. 
So don't remain ignorant about the source of the gifts and the goal in God in giving them and restricting all the ones that are there. And fourthly, don't remain ignorant about the need for all the gifts. The need for all the gifts. There is a necessity for each gift to be manifested for the church to be considered a healthy body. In verses 12 to 27, Paul writes perhaps the most beautiful and famous example in literature of unity and diversity. It's, 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 it's beautiful, it's poetic. An analogy from anatomy. In the scriptures, the church, the local church is described in, in certain ways. One of the ways we're described in 1 Corinthians is as a temple. We're a temple. And that, that's supposed to, to, to transmit the message that we're a place. We're a place where people and God connect. Where God gets worshipped. Where a holy God gets worshipped. That's what happens in temples. Elsewhere in the scriptures, uh, we're referred to as the bride of Christ. That we're beloved by God. That we're the bride of Christ. That he loves us. It speaks of intimacy. It speaks of relationship. Well, here Paul talks about us being a body. And his use in it is to describe that, that we're an organism. An organism composed of many, many parts, but we're one body. And so we must be healthy in our existence in the world if we catch there. Let me read it to you. Sit back and enjoy the, 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 the word of God. It's self-explanatory, I believe. But let me read it to you and say a few words in a second. Verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Then he gives us a beautiful example. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, there would, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, you'd think he'd finish there because he's sort of projected his idea, but he circles back round. <laughs> and he goes at it again. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, 
all suffer. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There's a lot there, but it's quite simple. The body is made up of many parts, but each part belongs. Each part belongs. And the body is very, very, very diverse. Look around you. But each one is essential. We need every member. And no body part could ever boast to another body part. I'm more a part of this body than you are. That's ignorant. We, plural, are one singular, one body, one unit, one church, and we need each other actively contributing your God-given gift for health. If fingers don't work, hands can't do much. If eyes don't see, how do we get around? We need each other. We need to appreciate what each other brings to the table. I think uh, I've never heard a better way of, of understanding this than a story I heard a while ago about a master organist. You know organs, right? Yes, and just you don't see them around that often anymore, so I just got to make sure. Organs work off of wind and air moving through pipes as they are very skillfully and masterfully um, played by a master organist. Well, this master organist had put on a performance that was just so incredible that he was receiving a lot of praise and a lot of adulation. Well, back then, uh, you, you didn't have electrical motors, etc., to be able to push the air through the pipes at the right speed and continually so that the sound would be produced. And what you had was someone just just off from the organ, behind the little curtain, working the bellows. Hard work, all night, pumping air into those pipes. Well, this master composer or organist was receiving lots of praise at the, at the end of this wonderful uh, evening concert. Uh, and a little boy who'd been working the bellows all night popped his little head out from behind the curtain and said to him, we did it. We did it. We did it tonight, sir. Didn't we do well? And the composer went, we? We? There's no we in this. Off you go. Well, a few months later, there was another concert, and the organist was doing a fantastic job, but he came to a, a section that was sort of the climax and he noticed that the sound wasn't working too well and, and the airflow into the pipes wasn't quite there. And it was decreasing. And this was going to be public humiliation for him because it would look like he just couldn't play the organ. He was panicking and he was sweating. And he was trying to signal and kick behind the curtain to, to get, give me more air. I need more air. And the same little boy's head popped through the curtain. And he said this, Shall it now be we? <laughs> Shall it now be we? I love it. We need organists, but organists can't play without the hard work of the little boy pumping air through the bellows into those pipes. It's a we. 
It's a way. Solution number one to resolving the problem of gifts causing havoc in that church, in any church, is to not remain ignorant about these issues. They're sourced in God. They're for the common good. There's a whole wide range of gifts available uh, to us by his choice. And ultimately, we need every single one of them active, working for health. It's for health. Now, there's a second solution that's offered, and don't worry, I'm wrapping up, and it's just half a phrase in the last verse of verse 31, where, where Paul says this, earnestly desire the higher gifts, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. The word there, higher, is the greater gifts, the, the weightier gifts. What's that all about? The second solution is to continue to desire the greater gifts, continue to desire, but that seems to go against everything that you've just said, Paul. You know, don't desire to grab one. You know, just, just, just sit back and wait till God gives you one. What's going on here? Well, here's what's happening. As a church, they are ignorantly desiring those gifts that make them think that they look more spiritual. The stuff that they've dragged in from their past experiences, from the culture around them. But that ignorance can only be evaporated or addressed or filled in and resolved through truth, through the Word of God. I made that point earlier, through the teaching of God's Word, understanding the mind of God. You cannot combat ignorance unless you fight it with truth as revealed by God. In verse 28, we read it earlier. You don't have to go there if you don't want. Remember I made a big deal about Paul when he repeats the gifts. He, he went ordinal, first apostles, second prophets, third uh, teachers. And then he just went back to the then, 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 then. What was he going on there? Uh, that's the immediate reference, in my opinion, to what Paul is saying now in verse 31, a few verses later. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. You want to talk about the greater gifts? For them, it was some of the more frenzy-filled ones. Let me talk to you about the greater gifts that we really need in every congregation. It's leadership and teaching of God's Word, teaching truth. See, every other gift can operate and help the health of the body in some location, but, but the greater gifts are the ones that affect the entire body. It's, it, they're greater not in the fact that they're, they're better. They're greater in the scope of influence that they have. We must desire as a fellowship here, and any Christian fellowship must desire that God would manifest the gifts in that community of good leadership, of godly leadership, and of the teaching and the instruction of the Word of God. If we don't, we just drag in here what we picked up out there, and it's never corrected. And that ignorance isn't bliss that creates chaos our time is gone. That's a lot. It's just the tip of the iceberg in chapter 12. There's a lot there, and, and I encourage you to study it for yourselves at home. How does a local church function as a healthy body? Well, number one, you don't remain in ignorance. You don't remain in ignorance on spiritual matters. God has given you a gift, and he will empower you to use it for us. So step up to complement the rest of us, not to compete. And secondly, of course, we must continually desire, continually desire 
that those gifts of, of leadership and the teaching of God's truth be manifested here so that we're not enculturated by culture, but by Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So one final question in closing. Shall it from now on be a we? I hope so. Father, we thank you for your word. Once again, we thank you for how relevant you have made it for us so that we're able to be informed about who you are, about what you're like, and about how to align our lives in the power of the Spirit to your desires for each and every life here. I pray that you'd bless our week, that you'd refresh our memories throughout the week concerning this word. In Jesus' name, amen.